Let's get into the message this morning. I have an exciting word for you, I believe, from the Lord. I want to talk to you this morning about when it comes. That's the title of the message this day is when it comes. Okay. What are you talking about, Pastor Scott? You know, uh, this, this, what is it? What is, what is it about me that define me, that defines me? So when it comes, what is it about me that defines me? I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, what defines you? That's right. So what defines you? That's the question we're asking this morning. And I have my computer up here. So bear with me because I'm going to try to be cool. And just so you, I'm going to let you guys in. You guys think I have a, a Mac computer, right? No, that's a sticker. My, my Dell's trying to be a Mac trying to grow up and be a Mac. So don't don't judge me. Don't judge me. One day I'll have an iPad and I'll be preaching from the iPad. Amen. All right. So what defines you or what defines me? See, if I went around the room, we would all be able to recognize special moments in our life. What we would define or what we would describe as defining moments, right? And, and, and every one of us would probably have a story. Turn to the person next to you and ask, what is your defining moment? Okay, Frank doesn't have anybody sitting beside him, so I'll say, Frank, what is your defining moment? Amen. Um, see, many times we mistake our defining moments as when we first begin to taste success. Like I watched, I, I watch a lot of like, I like human stories, right? And many times... I just, I love the stories about the human spirit and, and just like people that step into their potential and, and that they realize, man, that, that they have a gift. And many of them, many times when they're talking about their defining moment, they always go to the first part, usually the first time that they have a little bit of success, where they, they taste some success in an area, right, that they feel like they're, they're, they're gifted in. And, and, and so, you, I mean, if you, in fact, if you look up, like, defining moments, like, on YouTube, like, there's a ton of videos, like, you could, and, and it's, like, many times, they always go to that first time where, like, maybe the light bulb goes on, that they're doing something that they, may, they might be gifted at, and they have a little bit of success in it, and they call that their defining moment. Well, we're going to take a look at that. Um, let me just say this. It's, it, so I'll say it again. I watch and listen to folks talk about these, these huge moments in their life, and many skip to a point where they become self-aware of the fact that they were having some success, right? But their defining moment, let me tell you this, their defining moment happened way before that in most cases. In most cases, if I asked you what your defining moment was, you might give me, again, a time where, man, I just this happened and I realized there's something on this, right? But let me tell you something, that usually your defining moment isn't that moment. It happens way before that. We're going to take a look at that this morning. We're going to take a look at what really is your defining moment. See, my defining moment was when I said yes to something in my heart. Your defining moment isn't when you start to taste the success. Your defining moment is that moment way before that where you said yes to something in your heart. Maybe you didn't have a clear picture Exactly of what it looked like, but you said yes. You recognized the voice of God in your life in some area, and you said yes to it. That was your defining moment. 
Let me show you. Let's, uh, let's turn to the scripture will be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible or your, your tablet or your phone this morning. It's, uh, uh, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to read a couple of scriptures here. We're going to actually read uh, three or four, five scriptures, uh, maybe six. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. Let me make sure I'm in the right place. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to be the name, or you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So what's happening here is Zacharias, is, it's his turn as a priest, and it says, the scriptures say that he was, he was him and his wife Elizabeth were in the priestly order, right? And so it's his turn to serve in the temple, and that week as he's in there by himself, the angel of the Lord comes and visits him, and he, you, you read what happened. But see, his son we know as John the Baptist, right? His son we know, well, he, this, this, this passage of scripture as John the Baptist. And what does he say? He says that your son, you're to name him John, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So in the womb, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he's going to be turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Does that scripture sound familiar to anybody? Thank you, Joyce. I knew it would for you. See, that scripture, what they're quoting is Malachi. See, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you look in your Bibles and you got your Bible in front of you, you flip to the the end of the Old Testament, you, you'll, you'll come to Malachi, and Malachi is the last book. In fact, that scripture he's quoting is a prophecy given in Malachi, and he says uh, that the angel of the Lord to Zacharias is saying, John the Baptist is going to come and fulfill that scripture in Malachi. In fact, it's the last two scriptures. Take a look. It's going to be up on the screen. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. Let's just read it. You don't have to take my word for it. Malachi 4, 6. This, these are the last two verses in the Old Testament. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. So that's why it sounds familiar, right? So this angel of the Lord shows up to Zacharias and he says, look, here's the deal. You're going to have a son. He's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he's going to lead the way for the Messiah. 
What an incredible message to receive, right? What an incredible moment. Like, I've never seen an angel. I haven't seen an angel speak to me. Actually, I have seen angels one time in a sozo. not going to lie. I had, it, it was a vision behind me, and it was incredible, and it was just amazing. But I've never had an angel, like, show up and talk to me like that and give me that sort of explanation for my life. And so here's a question. If John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, then in what spirit or anointing power did Jesus come in? Right? So, and, I, and, and I'm asking you that kind of rhetorically because I, I, I'm, if you know anything about Elijah, who came after Elijah? Elisha, right? So if, if John the Baptist comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, then who came in this, then who, in what spirit and anointing and power did Jesus come in? It would make sense, right? Elisha, right? Well, did you know if you do a comparison of Elisha's life and some of the things, there, Elisha was a type of Christ. We can look at Elisha's life. In fact, the Bible is beautiful that way. There's so many layers and multi-layers of meanings of things. And you can look at Elisha's life and we can look at Elijah and Elisha and see a type of Christ written into their lives and their story, right? And, 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 and their documented story that we read about in the Old Testament. So, so if Elijah, if the spirit and power of Elijah came in John the Baptist and Jesus would, and it would, it would make sense that was paving the way for Jesus, right? In the, in the power and the spirit of Elisha. Then let's go back and let's take a look at Elijah and Elisha, okay? See, the story of Elijah is not complete without Elisha. Right. The story of who Elijah was. Everybody know who Elijah was. OK, it's not complete without Elisha. You see, one can draw many comparisons, foreshadowings of Elisha's life being an example of the coming Christ. If you look up and study, you can find many theological th summaries and commentaries stating this very thing. It is truly beautiful, magnif magnificent and awesome how the scriptures from the Old Testament, and New Testament build on each other. So Elijah lived and laid a foundation for Elijah to continue the work that he started. And John the Baptist laid a way for the path for Jesus, for the Messiah to step in. So let's take a quick look at this guy, Elisha. Turn again to 2 Kings chapter 2, eight, uh, uh, verse 8. It's going to be on the screen too. We're going to read this. I like to read a lot of scripture so you guys know I'm preaching from the Bible. Second Kings chapter two. Verse eight, Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. The two of them being Elijah and Elisha. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You have asked a hard thing. Elijah said this to Elisha, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. 
And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. So this is at the very end of what we know is Elijah, right? This is at the very end. Like Elijah's had, uh, uh, he's been the prophet of the land for, for years and, and don't have time to go into it uh, right now, but, but there, there's just miracle upon miracle upon miracle that he did. Some crazy, powerful, some, probably some of the, the most powerful miracles recorded in the Bible happened through Elijah. And so, um, and, but this is at the end. And God had told Elijah what was going to happen, that he knew that he was going to be taken up, right? That he was not actually going to meet death, that he was actually going to be just taken up into heaven. So, and he, he, he knew this, and he knew it was coming. And so for days, this is what was in the forefront of his mind. This is coming. This is happening. And Elisha has been with him now for a, a few years. And um, you read what happens. You read the end of the story of Elijah as we know it and the ushering in of Elisha into his ministry. So Elisha witnesses the prophet of God taken from him and he becomes his successor. How many would agree that this was Elisha's defining moment? Yes? How many would agree that this was a defining moment? But like I said at the beginning, this was not Elisha's defining moment. This was not, let me say it, this was not Elisha's defining moment. It was a huge moment. But his defining moment was way before this time. His defining moment, let's take a look at it. I actually have the wrong scripture. <laughs> Let's see. Bear with me one second. All right. I want to go to First Kings. It's not going to be on the screen because I don't think I gave him this one. 19. 1 Kings 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Japhat. Or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Kings uh, 19, verse, uh, let's go to verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Let me just set this up for you. This is God speaking to Elijah, and he's giving him some, Elijah has just come through a really hard time in his life. Let's just put it that way. So the Lord basically comes and he confronts him and he says, and he gives him some instructions. And he, and he said, the Lord, the Lord said to Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram. And Jehu, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, 
you shall anoint as prophet in your place. I know I'm working hard with these words and names. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. Elisha then left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. See, that last scripture where Elisha's in the field, plowing, working, diligently, right? That was his defining moment. See, this just didn't happen. This just didn't happen. This was something that had been born in Elisha's spirit. God had spoken to him. Here's the thing. You put this all together. He was one of the 7,000. His father was one of the 7,000 that had not bowed their knee to Baal, right? So the false god. So here's, here's the deal. This is not just a man that's just, young man that's just plowing his father's field and, 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 and doing work, and then all of a sudden, wham, out of nowhere, comes Elijah on the scene, right? And throws his mantle on him and says, let's go, right, and chooses him. This was something I'm convinced that was born in his heart. There was a call in his life, and he knew. He knew that God was going to show up. He knew that God was calling him to a greater purpose than him plowing those fields. Now, see, we look at that, and we don't have to plow fields. We have tractors that do it for us. In fact, most of us don't even plant, and, and the plants that we do have at home, we kill. And, and I'm one of them. I do that. But here's the deal. Like, we, and we look at farming as hard work, but that was a big operation. He had an inheritance. His father owned some land, and they were farmers, and they, he owned, and that was going to be Elisha's inheritance. Like, and that was a pretty good deal he had. It was a pretty good deal. But his father had raised him to honor the one true God, to serve the one true God. And somewhere in that moment, uh, uh, he, his, this, this calling that he felt in his heart, and when Elijah walked up and did what he did, that became his defining moment because he recognized this was God opening the door, and it was the first step into his calling. It was the first step into his destiny right? That was his defining moment. See, each of us have a defining moment. And many times we wait until we have a little bit of success and we say, oh, that's my defining moment because now I'm going to go on and do great things. No, your defining moment starts way before that when you feel the call of God on the inside of you. When he places a dream or I'll never forget when he called me to pastor. See, I have, I've felt the call of God on me since I was a little boy, but I never felt the call to pastor until 2007. 
And I'll never forget that day. I'm in my closet. Literally, I had a closet, and I went in there and prayed. And, 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 I, I, and God just, I spent some great times in that closet. I'll never forget, like, even though there was some moths that got in that closet, and they ate my suits, man. I, that's a bad memory. It's another story. Uh, but I would, I would spend time in there, and I remember that day just in there on my knees before God and praying. And then God just, it was like a vision came, and, he, and I saw myself pastoring priest and I said no God no that's not what it's supposed to look like but half-heartedly said no because I knew it was from God and I knew he placed this this call on me and it, and and this and this call that that I had as a little boy he put together with that vision and it got really clear at that point and I'll never forget that moment that day and so but for me that was a defining moment in my life but nothing, I walked out of that closet and nothing had changed, really, right? Nothing had changed with my circumstances or what I was doing that day or the things that were going on in my life. Nobody else knew that I just had a defining moment. Let me tell you that Elisha's defining moment happened way even before the field. There was something in his heart where he felt the call of God on his life. And let me tell you this, you have a call of God on your life. There are things that God has spoken to you. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe you kind of buried that. Maybe you got kind of like let life get in the way. You got a little bit older and you're like, ah. But you've had defining moments in your life where you had to choose. Is this God? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And what am I going to do about it? So Elisha did, probably didn't know what it was going to look like but he prepared his heart, mind, and soul to recognize when God moved, when God showed up, and he opened that door, I'm stepping into it. And what did he do? He stepped into it with everything in him. In fact, if you look at, if you look at the personality differences between Elijah and Elisha, they're two opposites. They're two opposites. Elijah's moody. Like, read his life. He's moody. Who wants to be around that? You great man of God, great prophet. Call down fire from heaven, right? Like preached repentance, right? But after that, he, he just like runs off into the desert, hides in a cave, wants to die, right? Just like, like Eeyore, the cloud hanging over him. Elisha's the opposite. Elisha loves people. He loves, you look at the life of Elisha, he loves to be around people. Elijah most of his prophetic stuff that he did with, with the kings and the leaders was judgment. What's, what's one of his first miracles that we, or yeah, one of his, yeah, the first miracles. That, and and we, we look at uh, Elijah and Elisha, and we, there's roughly twice as many miracles that Elisha did than Elijah did. But one of the first ones when Elijah comes on the scene, what does he do? He tells King Ahab it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Right? He causes basically a drought. He's because of the sin of the nation. And he said, it's not, there's going to be a drought and it won't rain until I say. So for three and a half years, it didn't rain, right? That's a prophetic judgment, right? So he came on the scene and it wasn't, it wasn't a happy, hey, everything's going to be rosy. It was like, hey, it's not going to rain because I said it's not going to rain and I'm the prophet. This is what God said. It was a judgment, right? What's the first rhetorical What's the first, I'll answer it for you. What's the first miracle that Elisha did? Right after we, what we just read in 2 Kings. He literally crosses over the Jordan, 
And one of the first miracles that he did was for the people, and he healed the water, right? He healed the water. He brought healing and provision. If we look at Elisha's life and how he interacted with kings, he befriended them. Some of them were evil, but he still befriended them. He still stayed within his prophetic root, but he, he was a people person. He hung out with the school of prophets. There was this school of prophets and all these young guys that were prophetic and pathetic for the most part. And, and they, were, they were training up and, and to, to, be, to be prophets, and, and that's, not a, that's not a gig that I would sign up for if you understood prophets in the Old Testament. It's not something that you... You better know your call, right? And so, but Elisha, if we look after, and we look after his life, he hung out with these prophets, this this school of young men that were training to be prophets. And and, uh, they were his friends. And and even after um, Elijah was taken, and and they recognized the power and authority of Elijah now rests on Elisha, his first interaction is with these, these folks, these, this school of prophecy. Okay. What can I learn from Elisha? Elisha was diligent and faithful to his father, his mother's family. But you don't take the action that he took without some preparation. Heart preparation, mind preparation, soul preparation. He had to decide some things ahead of time. See, there was something stirring deep in his heart, and God had been speaking to him. He was revealing himself in his heart. He put this dream and hope inside and a passion for something greater and something that ignited inside of him. So when that moment came and Elijah came into that field and he threw his mantle over him, he was ready. He knew this was the moment. He was expecting something from God. He was expecting to hear from God. He didn't need to think about it. He didn't need to go pray and fast from Chick-fil-A for a week about it. Okay, they didn't have Chick-fil-A. He knew this was God's greater purpose for his life, and he moved on it. Let Let me say this. There was no plan B. Why was there no plan B? Because he had already decided in his heart before then that when God moves, I'm acting. I'm stepping out in obedience. And there is no plan B. That's why he did what he did. It was a prophetic act to himself and his family. And he took the bulls and he slaughtered them and he had a barbecue. And he took the wood from the... the, the from the tools, the instruments, that was his inheritance. He chopped the wood up, and he made a fire, and he barbecued, and he fed his family and his friends. He essentially said goodbye. God is calling me to something greater. I honor my father and my mother and the inheritance that I had here, but God has stepped in, and he's placed something in me that's greater, and I'm going to move on it. And I'm not coming back to this, not because it's something bad, but because I know that God has something for me to do, and I'm going to go for it all in, all in and see here's the thing he recognized and this is where we get tripped up because in our society today we're all about creating something and we want this like bubble right we want like like we, we honestly we feel like we're in this but like 
man, if I'm, if I'm living in the blessings and favor of God, I'm just in this bubble, in this spiritual bubble, and everything just happens and works out great, and just things fall into place. Let me tell you, that happens sometimes. But many times when you step through that door through obedience, when God speaks and you know it's him and you've got no plan B and you step into your destiny towards your call, usually the first thing that happens that meets you face to face is something that looks a lot like work. It looks a lot like work. Right? You have to, you have to determine that you're not going to go from the field and step into that thing and it be the pinnacle of what God has shown you. Like, you don't just step into plowing the field one day, and the next day you're the prophet of the land. Right? Like, he understood that what I'm saying yes to what God is opening the door for me. Here it is. I'm going to step through it. And we don't hear from Elisha for about another four to five years. So he stepped into this thing where like literally God said told Elijah go I want you to anoint him right I want you to anoint him as the next prophet your successor and Elijah I mean think about how spiritual is that like I when I got ordained I I wanted the full boat I wanted the oil poured over my head if I I, I want it all like I I hey I'll yeah I'll change my clothes like, I wanted the whole thing. Like, I wanted it to be, like, and it was, like, it was this special moment. And I wanted men of God to lay their hands on me and to impart that on me. And, and it was super. And so I, I can imagine Elijah, like, it probably didn't go down the way he thought it was going to go down, right? Like, when God opens the door and he, 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 and, and, and he shows me my next step, where, where I'm going to, like, that next big, like, yes, right? I imagine he probably thought, like, man, I want the angels, of, I want heaven to open and the angels to be singing, oh, and Elijah to come and, and, like, just, like, be weeping against, like, my son, you know, and I anoint you as the next part. No, it didn't happen that way. He comes and he's like, eh, and he walks away and he flips his mantle on him. Right? I'm telling you, Elijah was a moody dude. He was not very fun to be around. So he steps into this and he, it says he serves and he ministers to Elijah. I don't know exactly what, at the time frame, but it was a few years that he had to serve Elijah, where he like literally probably cooked for him, helped him like with every, like just lived with him. And, and I, I'm, I, there are times during that I just know it that he probably thought that field's looking pretty good right now. That field that I stepped out of my inheritance. Is looking pretty sweet. I'm with this guy, and he's moody. He don't even want to be here. He's already asked God to, like, let him die, right? And the only thing, the only factor is that this, but he moves in the power and authority of God, right? The anointing is on him, right? But there were times during those years that I'm sure that he questioned, there was probably times where he laid awake at night and said, this ain't quite what I thought it was going to be, right? But what kept him going? What kept him going? See, it was hard. He wasn't 
Elijah wasn't a fun dude to be around. He was moody, depressed, liked to be alone, kind of edgy. He's rude a little bit. And Elisha probably doubted his decision. Lord, this is not the plan for the, for the life that I signed up for. It's, it's, it's not what I thought it was cracked up to be. But see, he was different and wired different than Elijah. We talked about Elijah being a kind of a prophet of judgment. No rain. He defied the wickedness and he defied kings and spoke out against kings and people. He was depressed and kind of moody and just like, I'm done, God. Take me now. Elisha was a prophet of mercy and healing. He healed the water and he was a, a prophet of provision. He l lived among the school of the prophets. He made friends. He was sociable. He was accessible. That was one thing about Elisha that was different. Is he, was, he was actually accessible. People came to him. He was, it was easy to find him and, and talk to. He was very relational by nature. Elisha was very relational by nature. He understood and thrived in his relationships. His last moments with Elijah was sealing his heart towards him. That scripture that we read. You guys have heard me preach. I got a, another message on the Father's heart that I, I reference that that scripture in Second Kings that we read in the beginning. See, when he asked Elijah, or when Elijah asked him that day, what is it that you want? What you don't know is that right before that, there were three separate times. Remember, Elijah knew he was going to be taken, and he was building up, and he knew day after day that it's getting closer, it's getting closer. And three separate times, Elijah asked Elisha, stay here. Stay here. I'm going to go. The Lord's taking me here. He's, ta he's taking me here. And, and, and Elisha knew what was going to happen too. And, and, he, and, and we know that because even the school of prophets, even these, these monkeys following them, they're like, hey, Elisha, you know, Elijah's going to be taken from me any day. And it messed with them. Why did it mess with them? Why did it mess with them? And why did when Elijah said, Ask whatever you wish. What is it that you want from me? And Elisha said, give me a double portion. Give me a double portion of what's on your life. That scripture, he's not talking about the anointing. He's using covenant language there. Yes, he is talking about that office of the prophet. And, and he, he, he wanted to serve and serve well and honor Elisha and honor, Elijah and honor God. In the calling of being Elijah's successor. But what he was speaking is that he was speaking to Elijah's heart. See, I, I'm convinced of this, that I don't think Elijah really got it until that moment. Because those three times, he asked him three times, stay here. Le just let me leave you. And you just stay here. With no plan. No plan what was going to happen. If Elijah stayed in any of those places, what was going to happen? How was he going to step into Unless God just showed him. And so, and what he's, his response was to Elijah was this. So long as you live, as, as long as the Lord lives, and as long as you live, your soul lives, I will not leave you. He was saying, I'll never leave you. See, I believe that Elisha had tapped into something because he was very relational. And I think that Elijah didn't catch it till the very end. He was saying, I want 
the blessing, the double portion that you would give a firstborn son. Because, see, I have a heart towards you as the son has towards the father. And I believe it was in that moment that the light bulb went on in Elijah's spirit and he realized he probably backtracked all the way to that field where he tossed his mantle on him and he called him with kind of some indifference. And then he probably thought in rapid succession over the, the years following how Elisha had served him and the relational aspect that he brought. And so when Elisha asked him for that anointing, to, to that recognition, I want you to anoint me. I want you to bless me as a father would a firstborn son. He was saying, that's how I see you. I'll never leave you. I've just told you three, three times in a row, three separate occasions, you've asked me to leave. I will not leave you. I will not leave you. And I think the light bulb went on for Elijah, and, and I think his first response was, you ask a hard thing. You ask a really hard thing. Because I, I believe he was coming to grips with the fact that God loved him so much that he gave him a son. But before that, Elijah was like, just keep, Lord, I've done all, and I'm the only one. I'm the only one serving you, and I'm in a cave, and I just want to die. Take me home. And that God said, no. I got someone that's going to do life with you, that's going to serve you, that's going to, he's going to treat you like a father. Because he's going to understand. See, your, your job was to, 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 to turn the hearts of the, fa the fathers to the, to the children. But, but Elisha's life is going to be the hearts of the children to the father. He's going to fulfill Malachi 4.6, right? And so if, we, if, if that's a type of Christ and we fast forward and we look at John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus was the most relational man that ever walked the face of the earth. He was the most relational man that was ever born. See, Jesus, much like Elisha, is turning the hearts of the children to who? The Father. The Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We all have defining moments in our life. I want to give you, I know you guys have been up here for a few minutes. I, I just, I got to do this. Bear with me. I'm going to give you quick four things. You don't have to write them down. You can if you want. See, when it comes, there are four things that we can learn from Elisha. I'm going to go through them quick. Number one, acknowledge the call on your life. God has a, has a unique call for each one of us. You might not know all the details or what it looks like, but acknowledge the call of God on your life. Number two, prepare your heart, mind, and soul to take decisive action. Prepare your heart, mind, and soul for decisive action. When the call manifests, manifests and the door opens, don't second guess. Move forward swiftly with no plan B. Number three, go to work. Be prepared for the process. Our school of ministry, we talk about the process. It gets like, ugh. There's a, you just reach anything that's worthwhile doing. There's a process that you go through, and it's just sometimes it's a grind. But be, be prepared when you take action that it's going to cost you something. It's going to take a little work. You're not just going to, ah, I've arrived. 
and step into it, right? So it's going to cost you something. So be prepared to go to work. Don't lose heart in the drudgery sometimes and the grind of the process. And when the call manifests, you aren't exactly ready at that moment to fulfill the call 100%. There's always a process of journey to walk through. Number four, here it is. Be relationally driven. Be relationally driven. Don't do it alone. Seek out community. That's why we exist. We love people here at 360 Church. Honestly, I lay awake at night and I think of all the people in our city that need to be here in church, that need to be a part of our community. Why? Because I believe this is a healthy place. I believe everything that, everything that someone would need from God is here. I believe that. That's why I look and I dream. and I, One day we're going to have a thousand men on a Friday night worshiping God. A thousand men from our community in the house worshiping. Hallelujah. Bow your heads. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to us this morning? What are you saying, Holy Spirit, to our hearts? Lord, I pray for each and every one here. Lord, there's not a person here that does not have a unique call that you placed on them and in, in them. Maybe they, they don't quite know what it is yet. Maybe they don't quite have the revelation of what you're doing and what you have for them. So maybe today's that day, Lord, where you begin, the light bulb begins to go off and they realize that you have something great for him. Maybe they've written themselves off. Maybe they look at their life and they said, I've messed up too much. I've done too many things where I said yes and then I didn't follow through. Or, But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ignite that in them again this morning. That you would remind each one of us of the calling that you placed on us. That there's significance in each one of us. Something that you've called us to do that no one, you've called no one else to do. So Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? Speak to the hearts this morning. Lord, you, you're the only one that can get in there and know in each man and woman here this morning what you have for their life. And Lord, I just pray this morning that as they begin to recognize that, that just as Elisha did, Lord, that you would begin to prepare their heart, their mind, and soul and spirit, Lord, that when you, when that day of reckoning comes, when the prophet steps into their life, metaphorically speaking, and says, here it is. Today is decision day. That they would step into their destiny and they would say yes to, do, yes to you with no plan B. With no plan B. I speak that prophetically over each heart here this morning. No matter how old, how young, Lord, where they're at in life, that they would say yes to you. And the second thing that they would do is they would do it relationally. They would realize that they can't do it alone. And that's going to require work. But that's what we're here to do it together, Lord. To encourage in that, that call in them that we see and that's on them. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. I want you to...